forever. That's what our fall brought our way. So you want to say, why, God? Why would you allow all of that to happen? Why not just create us um, like we're going to be someday in heaven? Why not create us like we were in the garden and keep us that way? Why does there have to be this awful time period in between with all this fallenness and suffering and sin and pain? Let me put the question up. This is the question we're addressing today. Why did God allow the fall? It's funny, after those first two messages on why does God allow suffering, one of you wrote me and said, uh, would you consider a follow-up message that answers the prior question, which is, why did God allow the fall? Because all the suffering we found comes from the fall. And I wrote you back and said, actually, that's what I was planning on doing, and I see you're here today, and it's today. So that worked. Why did God allow the fall? Why did he not make us holy and keep us holy? Why did he allow the transgression which led to all this suffering, all the sorrow, all the pain? Why not just make us like we'll be in heaven, fixed in his grace, locked in holiness by his grace? You remember, I believe it was Star Trek, not Star Wars, correct me if I'm wrong. In Star Trek, there was the tractor beam, and you could lock on to another spacecraft and hold it there. Why did God not take a heavenly, holy tractor beam and lock us into a state of grace so that we would never succumb to temptation and never fall? Why didn't he take us straight there? Everything God does is for a good reason. So we're going to try and figure out what the reason is today. But I'm going to keep you waiting a little longer and mention this. In Genesis 1, God made a good world but not a perfect world. At the end of each creative day, he said it was good, it was good, it was good, it was good. And to the sixth day, now there's Adam and Eve on the planet, he said it was very good. He made a very good world, but he did not make a perfect world or there never would have been a transgression or there never would have been a sin. God could have made a perfect world for reasons that we hope to uncover today from Scripture. He chose not to make a perfect world. He chose to make an imperfect world which would allow for the possibility of transgression and sin. Why? to ask the question again. Why didn't he make the best of all possible worlds? He did not. He made a world that could fall into transgression. Why? Why not create us and immediately fix us in holiness? You get the, you get the question, right? I've repeated it enough. You get it. You see what this sermon is about. Let me give you some answers. The first one is what I'll call a wrong answer, but it's one you hear a lot. The wrong answer is free will. God didn't create the best of all worlds, this view says. God did not create a perfect world. He created a world that allowed for a fall, that allowed, that led to all the suffering. He did this in order that humans would have free will, so they could freely love Him and truly love Him. We hear that view. Maybe some of you hold that view. I'm going to try and dissuade you, but you know, we can talk later, and I love you, all right? Why do I say that's the wrong answer? Because reason number one, you have it before you there, the Bible doesn't say free will is the reason why God did not create a perfect world. The Bible does not say in order that you might have free will, God allowed for the possibility of your fall. 
The Bible does tell us why God did this. The Bible does tell us why he made us capable of falling and allowed us to fall. And the Bible does not say, here's the reason, it was to ensure human free will. So that's not the Bible's answer. And here's another reason why I think that's a wrong answer. Just think about this. It's kind of logical. Next slide, please. Thank you. God could have made humans with free will who would have never fallen. He made a whole pile of angels who have never fallen. And in heaven, we're going to have free will, and we will never fall and never transgress and never succumb to temptation. So he could have made us like that, and we would have had free will, and we would have never fallen. God could have made us like that. He could have given us free will, but a nature that had no sin, a nature that would not respond to temptation. Instead, he gave us a nature that could respond to temptation and that could fall into sin. So free will was not the reason why God created an imperfect world. A third reason why that's not a good answer is because free will is frankly overrated. I'd like to talk about that one for a while, but I'll have to try and be, be brief. If, if you imagine that you do what you do due to your free will, you need to study some psychology. Because so much of what you do is a result of factors that are moving you, and you might not even know that they're moving you, but you make that decision because that happened. Because you saw that commercial, you thought, now I need a GMC truck, which you never need, by the way, you need a Ford. But so many factors influence us that free will is practically a myth. We are deceived. And furthermore, and I can't get into this, but I'd like to, Scripture teaches that God is ultimately in control of, He is sovereign over all human decisions. It's not like God is over there, and you're over here, and you have a little free will bubble, and God never intrudes. Now, there's a lot in Scripture about that. So that, that is, in my opinion, a wrong answer. God did, did this in order to uh, ensure human free will. Here's a better answer. It's not the best one yet, but here's a better answer. We're working our way up to the best. A better answer is just trust Him. All right? Just trust Him. The, the argument goes like this. God allowed the fall. Furthermore, God has good reasons for everything he does and allows. Therefore, God has good reasons for allowing the fall. So just trust him. All right, that's not a wrong answer. That's a pretty good answer. The problem with that answer is, however, it might not be satisfying when you need a satisfying answer. When you're suffering and suffering and suffering, and a well-meaning Christian friend named Eliphaz, the Bill, Eliphaz, or uh, who were the others? Job's comforters. A, a would-be comforter says to you, look, just trust God. All right, that's good. Because if you know who he is, if you understand his character, if you've seen his works, then you do not always have to know what he's doing in order to trust him. Amen? I know who he is, I don't know why he's doing this, but I can trust him because I know he's good and holy and wise and righteous and sovereign, so I can trust him even though I can't see why this is going on. And many times we have to do that. But just trust him is also not the most satisfying answer to why did he allow the fall? Why is all of this going on? 
So let's go back and ask again, why does God allow, why did God allow the fall? Let me give you now what I'll call a helpful question. I'm working, we're working our way along. You feel impatient? Sweet people. All right. A better answer, a better question is, a helpful question is, well, why does God do anything? You're asking, why did he allow the fall? Well, I'm coming back and asking you, well, why does he allow or why does he do anything? The Bible gives us a very clear answer about that. Do you you know the answer from the Bible? Here's why God does everything that God does. Here's the purpose. Somebody's getting it. Here's the goal. Here's why everything happens. Why does God do anything? Not because of human free will, not because he was bored, thought he needed a creation, not because he was lonely, thought he needed people. No, he does everything for a purpose, and that purpose is so many times so clearly revealed in Scripture. Let me just give you four verses about it, all right? Just four quick verses. Here they are. Psalm 19.1. What are the heavens up there for? Why did he create all that? You get a low humidity night and you turn the lights down and you go outside and you go, glory. Why, Why did he do that? It's there to glorify God. Next verse, Isaiah 43, 7. He says, everyone who is called by my name, whom I created for my glory, whom I formed and made. You want to know why did God allow the fall? Why does God do anything? Why has God done everything that he's ever done for his glory? Why are you alive? Why do you exist? Why do you take space, take up space on the planet? Why are you breathing? Why has he given you the breath in his nostrils? You exist to glorify God. He created humans to glorify himself. Let's go on to the next verse, Romans eleven thirty six. For from him and through him and to him are all things. To him be glory forever. Name something, point at something, consider something. Why is it there? For God's glory. That's why he made everything. That's why you and the planet and the universe exist for the glory of God. One more verse from the book of Revelation. We were singing from that book a moment ago. Here we are in chapter 4, verse 11. Worthy are you, our Lord and God, to receive glory and honor and power because for you created all things, and by your will they existed and were created. So we're trying to figure out why did God allow the fall, which in turn created all this suffering. We're looking at the prior question, why then the fall? And we're saying, well, why does God do anything? Why does he do everything that he does? It's for his glory. So you see where this is going. The fall was permitted because it will bring greater glory to God. That's what we have to understand. Let me just pause before we go back to that and give you what I'm calling Appendix 1. So turn to the back of the book. Turn to the back of the sermon right now. This is Appendix 1. And I want to give you a brief defense of God's glory-centric creation. Some of you, for some of you, this, this might be a new idea. Everything exists for God's glory. I exist to glorify God. 
He allowed a fall and suffering to glorify him. And you might be tempted to think, sounds like an ogre to me. Sounds like the most narcissistic being in the universe. Well, I need glory. I'm going to create things and they'll bring me glory. Sounds like a glory black hole. So I want to defend God's glory-centric creation, and I'll do it in this way. And a few of you have heard this before. I'm sorry, bear with hearing it again. Anybody been to the Grand Canyon? Who's been to the Grand Canyon? Is that pretty amazing? Like nothing prepares you for what you're about to see when you show up on the rim of the Grand Canyon in Arizona. So we've been there, and I'd seen pictures of it before, but when you stand there, it just seems to grow as you look at it. It gets bigger and broader and deeper, and there are more and more and more layers, and you've never seen anything that could prepare you for the grandeur and the amazement and the glory of the Grand Canyon. You just look at that and you go, wow, right? Wow, like this is making me want to see it again. Wow. Now, what do you think about those Arizonans? That's their Grand Canyon. They built roads in so we could go see the glory of their Grand Canyon. What do you think of them? Narcissists. Glory hogs. This is our Grand Canyon. We want you to see. What do you think of them? Thinking that it's something great that ought to be seen. No, it really is something great that ought to be seen. You ever seen the mighty redwoods? Something great that ought to be seen. There are a lot of things on this planet. You ever seen the Rocky Mountains? Something great that ought to be seen. There are things on this planet that are great that bless humans if we get to see them or experience them or hear them. There are things that are beneficent if we get to enjoy them. It's good for us. God's glory is one of those things. God has a Grand Canyon full of glory, and he's not stingy. He says, I want to share this. I want people to see this and go, wow. I want them to know and experience my attributes and let their jaws drop as they're amazed that there is such love and mercy and grace and kindness and power and justice in the universe. I want their jaws to drop in awe and wonder. It's not that God is like, I need glory. I'm feeling kind of weak today. It's that this will bless creatures if I share this. If I let them, if I make roads, the road is the cross, and let them come in and see my glory, my Grand Canyon full of glory. So it's not at all narcissistic, it's beneficent. It's out of the goodness and the grace and the grand heart of God that all creation is God's glory centric. So back now to what I'll call a repeated helpful question. So why does God do anything? Yeah, for his own glory. So now you know why God allowed the fall. He allowed it for his own glory. But now you have another question you want to ask me. How does the fall bring God glory? Wouldn't it bring God more glory if people were just holy and stayed holy? How does the fall and all the sinfulness and all the suffering that are consequent, how do they bring God glory? That's the rest of the message. Anybody want to hear the rest of the message? All right. So let me put up a statement. Let me just put up what I've just been saying. Next slide, please. 
God allowed the fall because it will result in a greater revelation of and glorification of God. In other words, without the fall, we would be missing something in our experience of God. We would be missing something in our knowledge of God. Uh, God would not be as revealed as He is. There would not be as great a revelation of God. There would not be as great a glorification of God. We'd only see a little piece of God's Grand Canyon that is Him. We'd be missing some major pieces of the Grand Canyon that we will be blessed if we get to see. Scripture tells us this. Now to my core scriptures for the day. If you're falling asleep, wake up. Here are the core scriptures for today. Romans 9, verses 22 and 23. Uh, There's a slide before that, brother. That's it. Thank you. What if God... Pause there. Paul is not just wondering aloud. Hmm, I wonder if this could be... No, no, no. This is a rhetorical device. He's making a statement. He's teaching us Bible truth. He's asking you the question, what would you feel about that? What if God, because God did do this. What if God, these are going to be hard words for some, desiring to show his wrath. His wrath that flows from his justice, which glorifies him. What if God, desiring to show his wrath and to make known his power, because it's a Grand Canyon worth experiencing. What if, in order to do that, he has endured with much patience vessels of wrath prepared for destruction? There's the fall. He endured with much patience our fallenness, vessels of wrath prepared for destruction. Now the next slide, please. And we get a purpose clause. For the purpose that, in order to, here's why he did it, to make known the riches of his glory for vessels of mercy, which he has prepared beforehand for glory. Paul just answered our question, why the fall? Why all this mess? Why all the suffering? Well, it all comes out of the fall. Well, then why the fall? Why didn't we go straight to heaven? and tractor beam us in grace, and keep us holy forever. Why permit the fall? Because without the fall, something would be missing in our experience of God. What would be missing? We would never know the full riches of his glory as vessels of mercy. No fall, no mercy, right? Who needs mercy? Criminals need mercy. The guilty need mercy. We would never know this huge part of God, apart from our fallenness, the mercy of God. We would never know the extent of his grace. We would know his grace apart from his fall. We could say, it's amazing. He created me. He gives me food. I don't deserve this. Uh, It's his grace. We would know some of his grace. We would not know the extent of the amazing nature of the grace of God or the love of God apart from a fall and our redemption by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone, that makes us say, amazing grace, how can it be? We would never experience, to the full extent, God's love or His grace. We would never even know His mercy. They are worth knowing. 
They are worth all of this. Let's skip ahead to Romans 11.32. Paul kind of repeats it, but in different words. For God has consigned all to disobedience. That's the fall. Why did he do that? In order that, another purpose clause, that he may have mercy on all. So in Romans 9, why did he do this? So he can show mercy. Romans 11, why did he do this? So he can have mercy. If he didn't allow us to become sinners, there would never be anybody who needed mercy, and something would be missing in the universe. Let me illustrate this from the prodigal son. Before the prodigal son grabbed the goodies and left for the far country, do you think he loved his father? I guess that's debatable. He was like, Dad, give me the inheritance now. I wish you were dead early because I want the money so I can go play. But do you think he loved his father? Let's assume he did. He had some love for his father. And he felt his father's love. And he knew his father's uh, kindness before he grabbed the goodies and ran. And then when he found himself in the pig trough eating with the kids, and he came back and he said, I'm not even worthy to be called your son. Just let me be one of the servants. And the father came in unexpected mercy and love and grace and said, no, 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 you are my son and I love you. And that son experienced the love and the grace and the mercy of his father in ways he would have never done had he not gone to the far country, right? Now he really knows my dad is an amazing man. He forgave me. He pardoned me. He forgives me. So it is with God. God allowed the fall. God did not create a perfect universe. God permitted all the suffering that comes from the fall in order to accomplish a greater good, a greater end, a more important end, and that is to show us the Grand Canyon depths of his attributes, to showcase his glory. So let me give you two statements, and then I'll make some conclusions, some concluding comments. Here's the first statement. Next slide. So here's what I'm saying. In allowing the fall, God allowed a great evil, right? He did. But this evil made it possible for God to bring about a greater good, namely, next slide, a greater revelation of his person and attributes, especially his mercy, his grace, and his love. Why the fall? So we could learn about God and stand in wonder. Next slide. Here's another statement. A world with no fall and no gracious, merciful redemption is a less God-revealing, God-glorifying world. Next slide. So we can continue that. But it but a world with a horrible fall and a merciful, gracious, loving redemption is a more God-revealing, God-glorifying world. This world is the best possible world to achieve the best possible end, which is a full revelation of the whole Grand Canyon of God's amazing attributes, especially his mercy, his grace, and his love. So that, I believe, is why God allowed all this. Not because of free will, and not just because you just have to trust him, though sometimes you do, 
But also, you can know this. He's doing this because this will lead to his glory, and I exist to glorify him. All right. Now I want to speak very personally to you. This has all been a rather philosophical, high-level theological, intellectual kind of thing. But now I want to speak very personally to you and make it a very personal thing. You exist for God's glory. You. That's why you're here on the planet. That's what this is all about. What's the meta-narrative? What's the big picture? You exist for God's glory. You exist to bring Him glory and honor and blessing and praise. You exist to give Him your heart and your life and to turn to Him that He may be God to you and to love Him and embrace Him as your Lord and Savior and to follow Him all your days. This is what life on the planet is for. This is why God gives you time. Time is in order to prepare you for eternity. This is your preparation period. That's real life. And you are here to glorify God. And I want you to know this. Now, this is going to be strong, but here it is. And you will. One way or another, you will. You can reject him. I don't want you to be God. I want to be God. You can reject him. I don't believe in you. I'll come up with other theories. You can reject him but you will still glorify him for his justice when others see how justly he deals with you at the last day. You, God will be glorified by you. But there's a much better way to let God be glorified by you. And that is to turn and bow before the cross and to call out to the Lord Jesus, Lord Jesus, have mercy upon me and then you will glorify God in hundreds and thousands of ways intentionally throughout your entire life and for all eternity your song will be glory to the lamb that was slain I'm telling you my friend that's a way better way to glorify the father who made you for his glory turn your heart Turn your soul, turn your loves, turn your passions, turn to God. God, I've been unfaithful. You created me, you've blessed me, you've given me so many things, I've ignored you, I've treated you like junk. But I'm turning now. And I'm looking up to you and just praying that you can somehow show mercy upon a renegade sinner like me, and he will. Jesus said, everyone who turns to me, I will in no way cast out. You just turn to him, and he says, yes, I'll receive. Even you, even you, even you, even you, even you. So this is why the fall, and this is why there's a you. <laughs> that you might glorify him by loving him and following him all your days. I want you to pray with me now, would you please? Father in heaven, there are people listening who are strangers to your mercy, your grace, your love. We're praying for them. Father, even now, reveal some Grand Canyon layers and depths and the beauty and the wonder of Christ dying on the cross for sinners that we might be redeemed. 
there are people watching with us online. There are people in this room who need to know you as their God, who need the Lord Jesus as their Savior, who need to be filled with the Holy Spirit. And so, Father, we're praying that right now they might look up to you, that they might turn. Pray with me if you're the person I've just been describing. Father, have mercy on me, a sinner, through the shed blood of the Lord Jesus Christ. Wash me of my transgressions. Give me the free gift of righteousness and the free gift of everlasting life. For I'm praying in Jesus' name. Amen.